Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well and uh, happy International Women's Week. I know that this was a weird time to choose a straight white male to be on my show, but I felt like it was an important choice because I believe that for women, men are sadly our biggest threat at times, our biggest enemy. Not all men, not all men, not all men, but way too many men. And I believe they can be our biggest ally and some of our great collaborators. And my hope is to continue to work to bridge the gap between men and women, to seek to understand men so we can understand what's going on with them because they are not okay. We can see that statistically in the mental health statistics, in the violence statistics towards each other. We can see that in the violence towards us. We can see that in the violence towards themselves, the suicide rates are alarming and they're getting younger and younger and younger. It's just not okay what's happening to them. And because they are a gender still very restricted, socially restricted from really coming out about how they feel and their fears and their vulnerabilities, they're just not having an appropriate outlet to discuss how they can seek a happier life. And my guest today, Lewis House is a prime example of what happens when pain and trauma and abuse is internalized by someone who's trying to portray a kind of macho and tough exterior, how that can just decimate you from the inside out and how that can bleed onto the people around you. And I think it's a, a very, very common story, one much more common than we realize and because we don't have those conversations, we don't understand. And if we don't understand, we can't fix it. And if we can't fix it, then it just gets fucking worse. And then you end up where we are now. And we need men, you know, we need them because they are the ones who predominantly run the world. And they are the ones who can stop other men from taking away all of our human rights, which we continue to see globally. Even in the most developed countries in the world, we are seeing bodily autonomy and privacy laws and freedom laws being stripped away from women, predominantly women, not only women, uh, also some gender non-conforming people, but it's fucking terrifying. And and it's just not going to work if we don't collaborate and if we don't work together and if we don't empathize with each other. And that means also hearing them out. 
In this episode, we discuss Lewis's mental health journey and the path to healing that began after his personal breakdown in his late 20s. We discuss the emotional state of many men and how men's aggression could sometimes be linked to the fact that they have no spaces to safely share how they feel. We discuss the difference in the ideas between toxic masculinity versus pain being the only toxic thing men carry. It's a really eye-opening episode and one that I've shared now with a lot of men in my life who have really resonated with it. But a lot of women have also already reached out to me about this episode and I really appreciate that and I hope you enjoy this listen. I will give you a trigger warning that there is a mention of sexual assault, a mention of rape um, in this episode and uh, that is something that happened to Lewis when he was very young and we do discuss that. So if that's not something you can handle listening to today, maybe skip this episode. But it's a a beautiful chat between two people who come at the world from, you know, optics-wise, very different background experiences, but who actually have a lot in common. If you enjoy Lewis's work, then you can find him on the School of Greatness podcast. And he also has a book called The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. It's out March 7th and you can pre-order it now wherever books are sold. This is Lewis Howes. Bloody hells. Welcome to Ai Wei. How are you? Good to see you. It's so good to see you. Um, we've, we've had a journey together. I, I met you, what, like 10 years ago or something? I when think was it was this? eight years ago. It was a, like almost as soon as I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I I remember us sitting down. I think we were at like some sort of wanky Soho house brunch or something. Yeah. And we started talking. And I remember like having a go at myself after meeting you because I immediately judged you the second I saw you. And I was like, I'm not going to talk to him. I have, I have nothing in common with him. Like you're this like tall, handsome, very like muscular, like, like, like an athlete. And I, uh, I don't know anything about sports and I don't like moving my body at all. And I was just like, no, 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 no. We're not going to have anything in common. This is an all American, like superstar. And then very quickly within chatting realized that we have a lot more in common than mm-hmm. I ever could have realized. And so mm-hmm. I officially apologized to you now eight years later for judging a book by its cover. You know, it's interesting. I, I accept your apology. It's all good. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's interesting because I feel like we have a lot in common because I think most of your life you've had to break down the barriers of people assuming and judging you mm-hmm. for being something. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, that's been my life as well. People look at me, I'm this tall guy, you know, I'm an American guy, I'm a former athlete, and they mm-hmm. just judge and assume based you on look looks like and assumptions. The, you look like the Oxford definition of like, like all American hero. Like <laughs> you, you literally look like a hero. It's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. So it's, it's, yeah. It, it's interesting though that it's, you know, we both had that struggle and continue to have that struggle to, to break down the barriers of just being judged by, or people assuming something about us. And I think a lot yeah. of people have this experience in life. They assume um, something about them that may or may not mm-hmm. be true. And Whether so, they be uh, underestimated or overestimated mm-hmm, or not even exactly. estimated at all. And so exactly. I agree. Uh, you are you are here today talking about a multitude of things that are very, very close to my heart. But also you have a new book out. You have a new book coming out called The Greatness Mindset. Unlock the power of your mind and live your best life today. Now, again, 
if people who listen to this podcast, they Google you and see a picture of you and they're like, well, you know, he would be able to unlock the power of his mind and live his best life today because he is a tall, white, non-disabled, straight man. Um, But there is so much more to your story. And, And I think that actually it's very easy to dismiss positivity in a culture in which so much Mm. like positivity is kind of like saturated the market. But what you have to offer is very practical advice based on having to pull yourself out of such deep, dark depths. Mm -hmm. And, um, and with your permission, may I partially re-traumatize you by revisiting your story so that people can understand the context of, of why I think it would be so helpful for you to be here today. And thank you for thank you for being here. I really like, yeah. I really admire you. I really look up to you in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm especially happy that we have a man like you. Um, and I feel this way whenever we, you know, the rare occasions we get men on this podcast to mm. come and talk about their mental health. It is vitally important that someone who uh, represents the antithesis of the men normally associated mm-hmm. with vulnerability, that you are going out of your way to encourage everyone, but also mostly men to be vulnerable yeah yeah well i appreciate it yeah and i'm happy to dive into anything you want to talk about well i guess i'd kind of like to ask you what has your mental health journey been like throughout your life Mm, i mean right now i feel very peaceful Mm -hmm. i very very feel very peaceful free and clear great and for many years i felt very um like i was living in a lot of pain i felt trapped i felt afraid and i felt unclear and unsure of myself. I doubted mm-hmm. myself a lot. And um, I put on masks to project, to fit in, to feel like I belong to some type of, you know, friend group and, and tribes and things like that over the years to just serve, to have a kind of a sense of survival. So I, I did things to show people that I was strong enough, good enough, smart enough or whatever. But at the, at the, that time I felt like I was insignificant, you know, dumb, all these different things. I didn't think I was worthy, lovable, or acceptable at all for a long time. But that's why I was driven to accomplish and achieve so that people would acknowledge that I had some type of talent. And um, that only got me so far. That only that that allowed me to accomplish a lot of goals and have outward success in terms of accomplishments with sports and then business. But it left me feeling so empty, so alone, and so scared inside that I would just have breakdown after breakdown in my life because my emotions were were trapped. My emotions were not free. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago when I started to unpack, unwind, and start a journey of healing. And as you know, uh, healing is a journey. It's not an event that happens at a moment and then it's like, okay, I, I'm never triggered ever again in my life. It's a journey mm-hmm. of integration and alignment around the meaning we create from those memories, the meaning from the pain, the trauma, the big T, the little T's that we have, and and finding the beauty and the meaning behind some horrific things that might happen to us. Mm -hmm. And and in no way am I here to talk about, uh, you know, all the traumas that I've gone through and make them more or less than anyone else's. But we all face different things that cause us to doubt, to feel insecure, and Mm. do things to fit in. And I had my own set of instances. You know, I was sexually abused by a man that I didn't know when I was five. For 25 years, no one knew this about me. 
because I was so ashamed of it. I was mm-hmm. so insecure and, 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 and so afraid that if anyone knew this about me, no one would love me. And no one would accept me. No one would be my friend. No one would believe me. And no one would anything if they knew this story about me. So I embodied the all-American athlete. I was just like, I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm never going to cry. I'm never going to do these things. And I'm going to be the hero that these people want on these sports teams. I'm going to do whatever it takes to train as hard as I can to be a valuable asset to the team and accomplish my goals. And that fuel was extremely powerful in getting me to set goals and accomplish them and getting me to get up early and train hard and getting me to stay later than other people and work hard. And it, it gave me fuel, but it left me feeling extremely mm. unfulfilled and unhappy. Yeah, because while you're running on that treadmill, you're you're running away from the problems. Yeah. Exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I still couldn't at the end of the day look myself in the mirror and say that I loved myself and I accepted myself. Um, not in like some egotistical narcissistic way, but in just a, uh, a healthy identity way. Um, so that's been a, it's been a journey. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I wonder, is part of your physique, you know, cause you're like a big, broad, muscular man, uh, a response at all to having been attacked when you were younger and like making yourself look like fucking unbreakable. Yeah. <laughs> My way was the opposite way. You know, I was a similar age when I was abused, um, mm-hmm. also by someone older than me. And I, uh, I, I just, I, part of my anorexia, I think, was me trying to kind of disappear mm-hmm. and have control over something. And I, I yeah. was just wondering if there was any correlation with men, because, you know, I haven't met a lot of men who've experienced such a thing. And I wonder yeah. how it manifests physically sometimes. I mean, I was always kind of a tall, skinny kid. And so Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be stronger because I knew it would help me accomplish my goals as an athlete. So I was always trying to get like stronger and bigger to to not essentially, I mean, it was really just to like be great as an athlete and defend myself in sports. It wasn't thinking like no one's ever going to do this to me again. As I became older, I was just naturally stronger. And I was like, okay, no man's going to do this to me as an adult because I can push them off of me and I can defend myself now. I couldn't defend myself. Head a, off. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I can't defend myself as a five-year-old, but after 10, 15 years of training as a, you know, football, basketball player, it's like I had speed, skill and strength and, you know, basic capacity to like push someone away and, and, and strangle them if I needed to or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was more of just like the emotional wounds caused me to, to defend myself and react so much in life if the littlest things were to happen where I felt like someone was taking advantage of me or abusing me in any way. Give me an example of how small this would be. I mean, someone cuts me off um, in the street or someone just looks at me the wrong way. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like as, as a teenager, you know, someone you don't know and you're out down in the street or you're at the gym or you're at the wherever you're going to a party or at the movie theater or something as a 16 year old and some other kid you don't know looks at you the wrong way. It's like, what, what are you going to do? You know, you kind of, I would defend my, the vulnerabilities inside of me that was uncomfortable with just kind of receiving the world as as it is and being peaceful and calm. So I needed to project this identity of like, don't mess with me or, you know, what are you going to do? Or are, don't come at me. Stuff like that. I mean, as I got older when I was driving, it was like if people would cut me off in the car, it was like they're trying to beat me. I'm they're 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 abusing me. I'm gonna go in front of them or whatever yeah. it is because 
just like any little thing in life or in business, if I felt like someone was doing a deal where they were just trying to use me, that would really trigger me. And I'm sure, uh, you know, in your career yeah. in Hollywood, if you feel like someone's not paying you fairly or if they're not putting you in the right position fairly, you know, for me, that would have triggered me to react as opposed to respond from just, okay, well, that's that just doesn't work for me and this is my boundary and here's what I'm going to ask for. I would I'm, get I'm not. I think anyone who's followed my Twitter uh, for ten years can say I'm not reactive. I am very right. calm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I am cool as a cucumber, uh, my friends. Um, yeah. yeah. No. 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 I. Uh, I fully <laughs> no, but, identify with but that. But this would come. But this would come up in a lot of different ways. And again, this is not to like stack, you know, my traumas or something. But just to share, you know, when I was five, that happened, sexual abuse, and then when I was eight, my brother went to prison for four and a half years. So this is my hero. He was 11 years older than me, and he was a hero of mine. He sold drugs to an undercover cop. And at, in the 90s, early 90s, it was the war against drugs in America. So they were just like giving the harshest Yeah, they were um, making an example time. out of people. Yeah, of yeah. everyone. So his first account, you know, he was 19. Uh, he, was, he just got caught up in it and um, while well, he was in school. And then he went six to 25 years, he was sentenced. And he got off on good behavior in four and a half years, but every weekend for four and a half years, almost every weekend, except for maybe a few times, I would drive with my family, my two older sisters and my parents. We would drive about two hours on a Sunday and go visit the prison where my brother was because they would mm. have like visiting hours, you know, at certain times on the week. And so as an eight-year-old, I was in a prison a lot of times for four years. And um, and also as an eight-year-old growing up in a small town in Ohio, you know, the neighborhoods, everyone knows what's going on, at least in the neighborhoods I was in. So the moms of the kids in my neighborhood wouldn't let their kids hang out with me because, you know, I must be just as bad or do something like my brother did. Because in my town, it wasn't like in that small neighborhood, there weren't a lot of people going to jail. And so yeah. it was like... There's a feeling you, of contagion, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. Especially in that generation. Especially mm -hmm. in that generation, I feel like they felt like... Yeah. They, they would ostracize a lot of people, be it gay people, not people specifically in Ohio, but I just mean yeah. like that generation's like attitude towards homosexuality or towards race or towards like fat people, towards right. disability would always just be like, stay away from it because you can catch it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So there was just like, I just felt alone. I just didn't have friends mm. for those times. And I know there's other people that are listening that can probably relate to the feeling of feeling alone as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. And so I felt very alone. And then- And was your brother your best friend as a kid? I mean, he was older than me, so he would kind of just come hang out with me when he had time, but he was off like doing teenager Yeah, things, that's one of those, that's know? like me and my brother. My brother was 10 years older than me and uh, he was my best friend, but I was definitely not his yeah. best friend. Right, was... right. I was like, you're my hero. <laughs> yeah. Play with me, you know? But it was more like uh, he was off doing whatever he was doing and, um, you know, having girlfriends and doing stuff with guys or whatever he was doing. But uh, he, but I have the memories from like when I was, five until eight of like him, you know, playing with me and him going in the backyard mm -hmm. and playing sports and him teaching me like how boxing stances and just goofing around. And so yeah. he was a hero to me, but it, it was, it was very challenging to go to a, a prison and see your hero in a blue suit, um, you know, jumpsuit and then be around 50 convicts um, and their families in the visiting room and just be like, huh, but my brother's a good guy. Like, 
He, he didn't. Yeah. And knowing and that he's living a, such a hard existence yeah. and you couldn't at that age, thankfully, know the full extent of how scary that is. But it's similarly, terrifying. I was, uh, I was a little bit younger than you. My brother was like my entire existence. He was just my whole life. And, mm-hmm. um, being, being South Asian in England was a very dangerous Not thing sure. in the nineties. Yeah. And, uh, he was, racially targeted and bullied so horrifically that he was um just not he was just going to take his own life if we mm-hmm. kept him here yeah. so he went to live with my grandmother in spain uh and so i had to say goodbye to the like my anchor like i didn't really have friends Man. at school and so he was like my everything and and he left when i was about six and it's that thing of, of wow. i couldn't really see him very often because he was you know in another country and he'd sort of lost his mind for a while so it's not the same but it's also just like that is such a destabilizing thing and and again those things add up to well there's no one here to protect me now i have to defend myself and it all adds up and also like the unthinkables happened really quickly so i have to control everything in my life it all adds up yeah Yeah. i mean when i was yeah so when i was also from five to eight two of my uncles committed suicide Jesus. on different families on different ends of the family two uncles so yeah um and, and it was like i'm going to funerals and i'm like what is suicide what do, what do you mean he shot himself yeah. what do you and mean the knock-on effect on your parents i imagine yeah was quite i, I intense. mean so my parents are first off i left home at 13 i begged my parents to send me away to a, a boarding school it's usually the other way around mm-hmm. where the kid is really bad and they get sent away they didn't want me to leave but i begged them why did you want to go to a school i went to this kind of like you know uh camp they would send me to this camp like a kind of like a christian camp um every summer for a couple of weeks and when i was after seventh grade i went to this camp it was like a two-week camp and it's like all these kids were really nice and I grew up with kids that weren't nice, the kids that were kind of bullying, making fun of me. I was in the special needs classes, so I always had tutors. And when I was in recess, kids were in recess, I was in like study hall learning how to read and write because I just was a slower learner when it comes to academics. So I just felt like kids were always making fun of me, The you know, my brother being in jail and that type of stuff. And also just being, I was almost as tall as I am. When I was like a, when I was like ten or eleven years old, so I was mm-hmm. very skinny. I know you were tall and kind of awkward mm-hmm. looking when you were growing up. So it was just kind of the combination of things, right? I just was. If there was a cool kid, uh, I was not that kid. I was complete. <laughs> I, I was the complete opposite. In the back of the class, yeah. made you know, made fun of, picked last on sports teams, you know, in elementary school. So all these things just kind of made me not feel like I was lovable. Made me not feel like I was enough, and. um made me very insecure. Um, and when I met these kids at this camp, I was like, man, I want to be around more kind kids. I want to be around where I'm accepted. And I felt kind of accepted. And a lot of them went to this school, um, you know, near this camp, which was in St. Louis, Missouri. So right after I got off the plane from this kind of two week camp, I, within minutes, my parents picked me up at the airport and I was like, Hey, I think I want to go to this school that these kids go to. And there's a boarding school, part of it. There's like kids that go there who live there, but also there's boarding, you know, and I, can I go? And they're like, no, we can't afford that. We're not going to send you away. There's no way. And every day I begged them to send me away that summer. And one of the reasons was, was because like they didn't show affection or love to each other. And it was always a level of like stress when they were around each other. And I just never felt they loved me, but I, they didn't love each other. 
And I didn't feel safe in the environment emotionally. I didn't even know. I just assumed everyone was going through the same thing, but I was mm-hmm. like, I just want to get away from here. Mm-hmm. And so I begged him to send me away. And it was, it was the start of a new chapter of, wow, as I'm developing and kind of maturing and going through puberty and, you know, all that, and actually now I'm becoming a better athlete, like I'm just growing into myself and I kind of felt like I could be who I was and be more accepted there. I still had tons of fears and insecurities, but I, I felt like kids were a lot kinder and There's a bit nice. of a fresh start. Fresh start. And I really felt like I needed space for my parents, to be honest, because they were they were fighting. It felt like what was every week. They eventually got divorced a couple of years later. They probably should have been divorced, but before I was even born, they had, you know, they had my brother when they were 19. They didn't know mm. how to, they didn't know healing and emotional intelligence and how to communicate and effective, you know, uh, conflict resolution. They didn't have those skills. So I don't blame them. And they were great to, they were great to me individually, but to each other, I just felt stress and I didn't feel safe or peaceful because there wasn't a sense of like love with them. And so all these things kind of like shaped my emotional mind and really put me in a state of insecurity, fear, and self-doubt. So all I was trying to do was get to safety, peace, and self and really yeah. self-acceptance. And I was doing it through control, but I realized that wasn't the answer, that I needed to learn how to heal and find meaning from these painful memories. I needed to, to, to find resolution to eliminate the shame and insecurities. But for the next 15 plus years, I just leaned into wearing masks and saying, I'm going to fit the archetype you want me to be. I'm going to be the best athlete I can be. I'm going to add value here. Uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to succeed. But success, I've learned, is extremely selfish. It's about me. It's about what I want. And, and greatness, and leaning more into that, is about you know healing, coming from an authentic place to pursue what you want and your dreams and your talents, but including others and impacting others around you in a positive way. And so I was driven by success to feel like I was I had meaning, but it just left me feeling unfulfilled. And it wasn't until I started to heal in the last 10 years, and it's a journey, as you know, it's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing journey, where I was able to find a lot of peace. Academy is a new scripted podcast that follows Ava Richards, played by Mahala of Leave the World Behind and HBO's Industry, a brilliant scholarship student who has to quickly adapt to her newfound eat-or-be-eaten world. Ava's ambitions take hold and her small-town values break in hopes of becoming the first scholarship student to make the list. Bishop Gray's all-coveted academic top 10 curated by the headmaster himself, but after realising that she has no chance at the list on her own, she reluctantly accepts an invitation to a secret underground society that pulls the strings on campus life and academic success. If she bends to their will, she will then have everything she has ever dreamed of. But at what cost? Academy takes you into the world of cutthroat private school where power, money and sex collide in a game of life and death. Follow Academy on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Academy early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Visit a live archaeological dig site on the very grounds where America began. Or walk the fields where our country was won. Live like a colonial by day or track 18th century ghosts by night. For all the history to be found here, there's plenty more to make for yourself. 
It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour a day, how would you use it? Do you even know? So many of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. But the question is more time for what exactly? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? I think the key for many of us is recognizing what is actually a priority for me and do I have the right priorities and am I actually engaging with them? And so that's where I think therapy can come in really handy because I'm someone who utilized therapy to really start to understand myself and ask myself, am I living a life to impress other people or to follow certain rules or am I living my life to actually make myself happy? And that has led to huge changes for me that have meant that I have shunned certain things I used to think I was supposed to do to be quote unquote successful. And now I've reframed success as happiness. And it is forcing me onto this journey that is making me exponentially happier and maybe less impressive of a person, but I'm more impressed with me now because I feel like I'm going to look back on the current life I'm leading and think, oh, I did a good job of that. I was happy then. I made some really nice memories rather than I achieved a bunch of things. I was just supposed to chase. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I think maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's super flexible. It's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a super brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you don't like them, you can just switch them for no extra fee. It's super easy. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash iWay. So you mentioned earlier on that you'd had a lot of breakdowns uh, before you were able to like hit whatever that rock bottom was that propelled Uh you into recovery. Can you tell me what those breakdowns looked like? Mine were more like a sort of fugue state. Uh, (laughs) What what did yours look like? I mean, I feel like I was uh, kind of always like a low level breakdown internally, but when I hit 29, right before I hit 30, I moved to LA for a girl that I was dating long distance. The day I landed, she broke up with me. A classic uh, tale. Um, right. You know, went after, went after it. And then. You know what? James dumped me the day that I moved to Los Angeles as well. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, he See, came crawling back within you know. a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a real fucker because this is a really lonely town. Oh, man. And it's crazy. then yeah. you're like, shit, now I don't know anyone. Now what? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we we got back together for like off and on for six months, but it was kind of like this emotional roller coaster that eventually it was like, okay, this isn't the right thing. And now I'm out in LA and I moved here for this, but I, I don't want to be here anymore. It was like, I was living in New York, living my best life. I moved for a girl, it didn't work out. So I was really kind of beating myself up of making that decision. I was like, why did I do this? Why did I go after some girl? What was the point of this? I'm an idiot. It's a constant like self-criticism for decisions. Mm-hmm. I think it's the wrong thing to go about it as well. Um, but I decided to, to stay for this first year. I'm still in LA. I actually love it now. Um, but that first year, I didn't love it. And I was frustrated that I made a, a poor decision. I was frustrated this relationship didn't work out. And it caused a lot of stress and emotional heartbreak. Um, I was going through kind of a business partnership breakdown where we weren't aligning on our vision anymore of what we were creating. And we were just kind of snapping at each other and getting frustrated really easily. And to the point where I'm in the middle of Times Square at one point with him on like a work of, uh, event trip. 
And I feel like I want to punch him in the face in Times Square. And, I, and I'm like, we're like yelling at each other in the middle of Times Square about some something that doesn't even matter. But we were just so frustrated and we didn't have the tools and how to effectively communicate when there was conflict in a peaceful, loving way. And I remember thinking like, I want to punch this guy so bad right now and thinking, what is wrong with me? Like, we're in the middle of Times Square and, I, and I'm having this feeling. I didn't do it, but I was like, okay, I don't have, know how to manage my intimate relationship. I don't know how to manage my business partnership. And I just started feeling angrier and angrier in life. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm a, and I know that I was a fun, loving, joyful human being at my core, but for whatever reason, I was getting triggered and feeling taken advantage of and abused. And I wasn't even aware that that's what was happening. I was just reacting. So does everyone kind of become your abuser like in that moment there's like a on some cellular level that's how everyone who you and listen like something i just want to stop with which is that like you know there are some people who you know especially when you're socialized as a woman you Mm. you're not really allowed you're not given the space to uh act with aggression because Mm. you're treated as though you're crazy you know Mm. if you even raise your voice or like double text so we live within like ridiculous parameters but i think Uh what's important for me to ask you is that do you think that this is what the prevalent issue is with a lot of men's aggression and violence is that there is not that they were necessarily all abused when they were younger but is this a pattern that you have found you know over the course of your career and speaking out and teaching men about your own vulnerability journey do you find that there is this underlying cause of of pain in men? Because that's what I think, but I think that we've become so accustomed to kind of demonizing men, which yeah. comes from an understandable place of just being fucking fed up. But uh, not to make you the spokesperson for all men, sure, sorry. Sure, sure. I know they're not a monolith, but but I do think it's just interesting. Do you feel as though men have reached out to you with, with similar ways of responding to their own trauma? Because I can almost guarantee nobody yeah. is born this way. I have, a, I have an email... I have an email that I haven't responded to just because when they come in, I try to be really mindful of it. And the the title of the email is sexual abuse as an entrepreneur. And so as a man, I'm not going to say his name, but he, he wrote a whole long essay uh, to me talking about this, uh, you know, sexual abuse that he faced and how it's affected his entire life as an entrepreneur and intimacy. And he doesn't know what to do. And I think, you know, I'm not just saying this for men. Women have their own challenges and and things they have to face in their own way. But I think as a man, from my experience growing up in the society and the culture that I grew up in, I wasn't allowed to show any vulnerability. I I just wasn't. Or if I, I I guess I take that back. I, I was allowed to show it, but then I'd be made fun of it. I'd be made fun of it. You know, I'd be kicked out. I'd be... Picked on whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, I can do whatever I want to do, but there's consequences to these actions. Um, and I think there's a lot of men suffering. There's a lot of men in a lot of pain that won't even say they're in pain because I was one of them. I, I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. Because I was so conditioned to act that part that I had everything figured out, that I was okay, that I was successful. Nothing bothered me when, in fact, everything bothered me, and yet I was just unwilling to face it. I was unwilling to speak it. It wasn't even something you could, I could say for 25 years that 
I was upset. I was like, no, I'm not upset. You're upset. You're just coming at me the wrong way. You don't understand me. It was just kind of like this thing. And I think um, I've gotten so many essays from men message me because I, I I talk openly about like the sexual abuse stuff and I've and I don't feel traumatized by it anymore because I went through a healing journey of it because I've faced it in a lot of ways and I mm. and I and I urge men and women and everyone to to do it in a way that works for them. Um, but for me, I think there's a lot of men who are in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And they don't feel like they have an outlet or a safe environment to communicate it. I'm sure you studied a lot of the stats about this as well, but one in one in four women have been sexually abused in some way, and then one in six in men. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never hear that statistic. Right, right. We never hear the statistic about men, and and it's very rare that men will ever and, talk and about, it talk in about your, it. And then they'll talk about it. And they'll talk about it. Like people that you're close to, they still exactly. don't talk about and, it. Exactly. And again, yeah. it's traumatizing for anyone. It doesn't matter, man, woman, or anyone in, in between. It's traumatizing f- for anyone. The 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 thing that becomes scary for society and for men is when men don't have the ability to to heal when men don't have a safe environment to heal and here's what happens um especially men who i believe are good men that just don't have the tools emotional regulation they make poor decisions they have poor behaviors when things come up that they don't know how to process so i just think they make poor decisions obviously Every decision has to be accountable for and whatever they do. But I feel for some men because I felt for myself, I can have compassion for who I was and what I experienced and realizing that it's very confusing, very confusing. And when no one, there was no tools or no heroes that I could look on TV who were speaking out about like, like, hey, if you're sexually abused as a young boy, here's the process to go through. This would never happen. My parents never said, hey, if someone ever does this to you, Here's what you should do and look out for. And here's how to emotionally handle it for the rest of your life. These tools were not taught to us in school. At least for me, they weren't. And even not specific to abuse. I think emotional regulation is something that like Everything, yeah. w- women are taught in a way of just like suppress, suppress, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, suppress. When you're with your girlfriends alone, then maybe you're allowed to express, yeah. right? Uh-huh. But but men don't even have they don't that. have men don't have it's, a guy men yeah. don't have one guy friend. Most men don't have one guy friend. If you literally asked all the men in your life, anyone listening or watching right now, if you asked all the men in your life, do you have one male friend you feel like you can say anything to? I would be willing to bet a lot that most of the men would say they don't have one mm. male friend that they can share everything to. Whereas you ask women in general, they will say it to any one of their girlfriends, their mom, their sister, like every day, here's my insecurities, my vulnerabilities. Here's what I'm going through, what I'm struggling with. Again, I'm generalizing this, but when I talk to women about this and I'm in a room and I'm speaking about this in a room of hundreds of people called 50-50 men and women, I say, for the ladies in the room, raise your hand if once a week you talk to another girlfriend or a group of, of girlfriends about challenge you're facing, insecurities, adversities, you know, marriage issues, relationship stuff, um, work stuff, anything you're going through that you feel vulnerable about, raise your hand if you do this once a week. Almost the entire room raises their hand of the women in the room. And I say, okay, now keep your hand up if you do this on a daily basis. You're calling someone, you're talking about, they kind of laugh and they say yes. And I say, men, raise your hand if once a month you get together with one, two, or a group of men you talk about your body issues, your challenges, your insecurities, your relationship issues, 
how you feel insignificant, how you feel like you're not enough in certain areas of your life, raise your hand. Of the hundreds of men in these rooms that I'll talk to, maybe two or three will raise their hand. And I, and I usually quickly make a joke and I'll say, are you guys part of a, a mandatory church group that does this? And they kind of were like, yes, we are. It's a church group. It's like a safe environment where we feel like we're not going to be judged. And I go, okay, so ladies in the room, imagine, just imagine if you only got to speak about this once a month, like anything that was on your mind, vulnerabilities, just imagine how would it make you feel? And they're like, oh, I'd probably go crazy. Like I'd. I couldn't do it. I go, imagine not speaking about it for a year or holding on to these things for an entire lifetime. That is typically what a lot of men will experience. They will never open up about their shames, their guilts, their insecurities, the things they've done wrong, the things they can't forgive. They'll never talk about it. And again, I'm not saying it, it is okay. On no, how I know you're not excusing respond. anything. Yeah, yeah, there's no excuses on if they do that and then cause harm to others, that's not okay. And everyone's accounted for. Um, but to see it from a lens of some compassion for that, for men in general, not the men who've done bad things to you, but just for the men in general, if you could say, if I never was able to share these things, how would it make you feel? It'd feel like you're, you've got poison in your veins and it feels like you're going crazy. And I think that's where men tend to, to use anger and reaction with anger or extreme stoicism, and they just kind of keep it all together, you know? And they're just like, okay, I'm going to be the strong one and hold it all together all the time and make sure I'm taking care of everything. That's where you see men when they're 40s who look healthy having heart attacks. That's where you see people that don't have the ability, they explode, and they explode on anger, and you see it in the news and the press, and you see all these shootings. That's from men who are angry, that don't know how to express their emotions in a healthy, conscious way. And so this is the only way they can really do it. And that's, for me, a scary thing. And and here's the challenge, Jamila. I don't know the solution for, for everyone. I know what's worked for me. Because when I talk to men who start processing and they say, you know what? I've been married for 10, 15 years. I never felt like I've been able to be vulnerable with my, with my wife. And I'm going to try it. I'm going to get the courage to finally like open up, to show like, I'm going to, Show, I'm, I've never cried in front of her, so I'm going to try it. I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm let my guard down. And I'm like, awesome. Let me know how it goes. They come back to me and they say, I don't know if I can do this again because she wasn't able to receive it. She told me like, if I'm in breakdown, you can't be in breakdown. If I'm emotional, you can't be emotional because then I can't trust you. I don't feel safe. And I'm not saying all women do this. Obviously, a lot of women are like really receptive to this. But yeah. for the men that don't feel it's even safe in their intimate relationship, because their woman has never seen them that way. And they're like, oh, this is a new thing. I don't know how to handle this. It's just, then where do we go from there? So it's, it's an understanding of allowing healing for everyone, you know, mm -hmm. men, women, and everyone to, be, to allow healing to occur and to encourage it. And maybe you're not able to receive your partner being vulnerable with you, but encouraging them to do it with someone else until you are able to do that with them. And I think it's just a journey. It's a process because we've all experienced certain traumas, big T, little t, that affect us today. And unless we're willing to heal and integrate those healing lessons continuously, um, it's going to be hard to regulate emotions and we're going to cause pain and upset in others. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. I often talk about the fact that if it would be so much better for women you know, where the vast, vast, vast majority of the violence that we receive is from men, it would benefit us tremendously to find a portal for men's emotions and to create coping skills and to have rejection uh, destigmatized as kids mm. and and really like nurture boys, like not just yes. expect them to know what to do, given that they are in every way uh taken away from what would be the correct intuitive response like they are mm -hmm. conditioned and programmed i'm sure that you're aware of this kind of really like rapidly growing it feels like in the last three years especially the kind of red pill sort of movement mm -hmm. they they believe that it's not toxic masculinity you know or like the the pressures of masculinity that are causing the pain they think the pain is what is toxic mm -hmm. so how, I mean, I don't even know where to start and I'm nowhere near adjacent <laughs> to that group yeah. of people. You know, yeah. in fact, they probably think because of the way that I'm projected in the headlines that I hate them and that I'm a feminazi and I'm mm. against that. And it's not how I feel at all. I I really worry for the, you know, these next generations of boys who are growing up. And I yeah. think so do a lot of the mothers and fathers who listen to this podcast. Like, how do you feel about all of this? Do you well, despair think, the way I do? <laughs> I mean, I'm not really in it that much, so I mm -hmm. kind of like will see stuff here and there, but that's not really the, the content I'm consuming, so I'm mm -hmm. aware of it. And it's funny because I was asking a friend to get fully clear. I was like, what does actually red pill mean like these mm -hmm. days? Because isn't red pill from the matrix like mm -hmm. seeing the light and like, you know, lifting the veil and actually stepping into like seeing the world uh, in a different way as opposed to being numb to the world? So that's kind of my view of red pill of like, matrix movie like mm -hmm. you're taking the action on that and you're waking up but i feel like it's in a different light today so i don't think it's actually portrayed the right way but i i'm a, i'm just a big believer that it's tricky because you need discipline in life in order to create certain things that you want you just can't sit around and be lazy all day and expect to live a fulfilling life if you don't have a mission you're going after if you don't have meaning with a mission that you have um, that is using your talents, your gifts, and your uniqueness to to then impact others in a positive way. At least that's what I think a meaningful mission is. Mm -hmm. So I think people are being led in like, you know, work hard, work out, make money, and you'll start to get the things you want, which is, again, the reverse. You've of, been down that road. It's the reverse. It's the wrong. Emotional intelligence is is 
is be, do, have. It's not have, and then you'll be happy. You know, have the car, and then you'll be happy. Have the girl, and then you'll be fulfilled. It's the opposite. It's like be happy with who you are and the daily actions you're taking, that you're disciplined, that you that you are your word, that you're kind and generous to people, that you... I'm a big believer in like you open the door for people. You say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You're, you're trying to be as polite as possible in the context of what society allows you to do, but you do things that a gentleman would do. If you're kind of a young boy, that's the way I was raised. It's like you open the door, you know, I open the door for my girlfriend and she likes it. She's not like, no, let me do it. She's like, thank you for being a leader in our relationship. So it's, it's being aware of, you know, the environment you're in, but I'm, I'm a big believer in being a giver being a generous gentleman. And in order to be a giver and generous to society, to the people around you, to strangers, you must be also generous to your own heart. You must be open and loving and kind. You must be compassionate to yourself. You must also take full accountability for your mistakes and your shortcomings. You must reflect on all your insecurities and say, you know what? These insecurities don't work for me anymore. I'm going to make a list of my biggest fears and I'm going to start going all in on them so that I can overcome my own challenges. I can overcome the older version of myself and get closer to an authentic aligned version of who I want to be and bring that person closer to me now. So I just think it's like they see certain people talking about it, um, this kind of red pill thing, I guess, and, and speaking of like, look at what I have, look at the women, look at the cars, look at the money. And they're inspired by wanting that, but they're following not based on their heart and true alignment, but more of like, when I have that, then I'll be fulfilled. And I just really feel like when when young men, which is extremely hard to be fulfilled when you're broke and you're in college or you're just left college and you're like, who am I now? What's my identity? How, how do I make a living? How do I get a job? How do I get a girlfriend? It's extremely challenging to figure out life in that stage because it's so uncertain and you don't know what you're doing. So it's very easy to be susceptible to, well, these guys made a bunch of money. They have girls, they have planes, they have cars. They look happy. Yeah, they look happy, right? But when they're getting mm -hmm. locked up in jail or they're overdosing or they're, you know, they go bankrupt or whatever it is, that's not the life. That's not the, the, the fast lane is not the life that you want to live. And eventually you'll have to learn the hard way, how painful it can be if you did it in the wrong ways. I'm a, a like quite a spiteful little asshole sometimes right Lewis and yeah. one of the things that I wish uh I wish on people when I'm angry um and I'm petty right when you uh -huh. know when they go low I go lower <laughs> right just to be very clear just paint a picture here <laughs> now well one of the the meanest things I like to think about people when I dislike them is I fucking hope all your fucking dreams come true I hope you win that Emmy. I hope you like make that million because to me, there is nothing crueler than the reality that I had mm -hmm. at 26 when I became super successful, you know, in England and I had everything that not only I could ever want, but that everyone wanted. I've mm -hmm. never been more suicidal. I have never been lonelier. I have never been more bereft or empty. I think we spoke about this when I came on your podcast. Like that was yes. like my real, like, Oh shit, <laughs> I've built completely the wrong existence. And so there's, there's something so crushing about when you've set all of your sights on something and you have stepped on everyone you have to, and you've treated people like shit. Not yeah. that I did that, but they do yeah, that, yeah. you know, to yeah. me. 
It's like you've burned everything to the fucking ground and now you've got the trophy and it feels like nothing, which is why people need to take so much cocaine or drink so much Mm -hmm. alcohol when they win like awards a lot of the time because they need to feel something because they don't feel something. I often walk up to people as soon as they've won an award. And this isn't like the most normal thing about me, but I'll sometimes if I can see they have that slightly panicked thousand yard stare look in their eye, I'll go, you don't feel anything, do you? And they're like, no, what's wrong with me? I'm like, it's okay. It's completely normal. Have some champagne. I was like, you're just going to need to move on with your goals from tomorrow, but enjoy the night. You know, you're you're not broken. It's, It's not enough. You have to go to the next goal, the next goal to feel something. Yeah. Yeah. But, but my, my point just being that like, there's, there are fewer things worse than putting your estimations in a goal weight or a goal, you know, financial bracket, all these different things. I'm not saying that the privilege that comes with them can't soothe and ease your yeah, life. Of course. Doesn't mean it doesn't solve some problems, but it doesn't solve every problem. No. And if anything, it highlights what's really yeah. wrong because then yeah. you really just feel like nothing. And then you're like, mm. fuck, if this didn't work, now I have no idea what to do because I'm yeah. completely without the tools. Exactly. And so I feel like we we feel quite similarly about these young boys who are being trained to move away from everything. It's so funny, like because more men are on antidepressants and because more men are talking about their feelings, they're seeing this as the downside of men opening up Uh rather than the fact that we're just hearing more stories of, you know, it's a bit like when we would hear those, you know, like I think a few decades ago, we suddenly noticed there was a huge rise in women reporting being sexually assaulted. And we were like, oh my God, they're being sexually assaulted more often. It's like, no, 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 they're just talking about it it more. They're having the courage to talk about it more. And so I think we're seeing like a similar panic and it terrifies me. Can you talk to me about what, what you have done, like tangibly what you have done to pull yourself from that place of being lost and angry and defensive? I know it's a lot, but just kind of just break it down for me. Well, it's interesting because, uh, yesterday, Jamila was my 10 year anniversary of my podcast. I think I told you this on the call last week. Mm -hmm. That's so Congrats. I had a lot of time to, thank you. I had a lot of time, like yesterday was the first, you know, first day 10 years ago that I launched my first episode. And I had a lot of time to kind of reflect in these last few weeks since it was coming up because it's kind of also been the journey of me healing and, and being the guinea pig for all of this stuff, like, like bringing on different people who are, who are experts who have some more wisdom than me and saying, okay, tell me what I should try and I'm going to go try it. And I, so I've done a lot of different things over the last 10 years. A lot of weird, crazy, out there things. Because I was like, I'll try whatever, essentially. The only thing I haven't tried is drugs. Um, Because I believe, you know, there's some people that think there's great things that are from psychedelics and mushrooms and all that stuff. And cool if it works for them. But I believe we we have the knowledge within us if we're willing to seek courageously and ask the questions and do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we're in complete breakdown and like suicidal, then maybe it's time to like, try those things but you I don't think, mean all meds you just mean literally like the the drug psychedel- like yeah the, the like the ketamine stuff. therapy yes. or ecstasy or psychedelics or yeah yeah i feel like i feel like a lot of i feel like try other stuff first before you feel like there's no way out i'm willing to do anything but it's not working mm. then that's my opinion but so i haven't tried that um but i have tried a lot same of different, I'm, I'm also just afraid <laughs> yeah and i and i just don't want to mess my brain up in that way because i yeah. I don't know if, what it'll do. So, mm-hmm. um, but I've heard it's done great things for people. So if that's your thing, cool. Um, but I've tried a lot of different stuff, starting with 10 years ago, doing a, uh, doing a lot of different emotional intelligence workshops. There's a, there's a workshop called the, the Hoffman Institute that a lot of celebrities have done now, which was a similar one that I did where you're experiencing 
the past in different games and exercises and role-playing to process. That's something I did 10 years ago to going to Poland and doing Wim Hof training, breathing techniques, meditation techniques, and diving the ice. So physical releasing in ice. I've done extreme heat training to release things from the body. Uh, I love, again, the, the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I believe we've got to release the things from the body and try different modalities that support us. I've done many different therapy exercises in therapists over the years to try different processing from relationships. Um, went to India to study to be a meditation instructor for a number of weeks. Uh, I've tried lots of different modalities. And the thing that worked for me is all of them, to be honest, because every time I do anything new, it unlocks something else. And then I have to, but the key is integrating the awareness. It's like, okay, now I'm aware. I've had, a, I feel stressed or a breakdown or this or something's off. Let me go try something to see what I can create awareness around. So do you have therapy? Like, does that, every two weeks I go, uh, every two weeks I have an emotional coach that I go to and things are really great. I feel peaceful. I feel free. I feel clear in my life, but I go because it feels great. I, 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 you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like when the best athletes in the world reach the top and they win the championship. They never say to themselves, you know what? Maybe I don't need a coach anymore. Like I figured this out. Coaches got me here. Now I'm just going to do it on my own and train on my own and hold myself accountable. They actually say, well, let me go find three to four other specialty coaches to help me improve my game so I can stay at the top. And I know you talk about therapy as well, but I think a lot of men don't like the idea of having an emotional coach. And I, I just call it an emotional coach if you don't want to call a therapist. It's someone who supports so is, is you. Is it someone who is a therapist or is it someone who is an emotional coach? She's an emotional coach that's that does therapy as well, yeah. So, uh, okay, she, so I was just trying to figure out yes, if it was yes. a different and thing. So, so I just called emotional coaching. Yeah, okay, yeah, great. She's a therapist for the last 30 years, done lots of different types of therapies and stuff like that. But I love, um, I love emotional coach. That feels good. Yeah. And I think it's just framing it and packaging it in a way that works for you. I've got a business coach. I've got a fitness coach. I've got a nutritionist coach and I've got an emotional coach. Um, and for me, that supports me and, and, and having accountability outside of myself, mm-hmm. being able to talk about different things, being able to show different things. Here's my goals. Here's what I'm looking to create in my life. Can you give me some feedback? Here's where I had a breakdown. Can we talk about it? And I can process it. Awesome. It's just getting to a place of, making sure my energy feels good, I feel clear, I feel free and peaceful, so that when life happens, as as you know, it's the last three years, life has happened to all of us in many different ways, and it's going to continue to happen. It's not like there's not going to be tragedy and adversity and pain and suffering. This will continue to happen for as long as we live. But how can we be peaceful when there is a lot of stress around us? How can we control the controllables inside of us. And for me, I just feel like that's really, it's, it's asking a lot of ourselves to do it on our own without community, without support. I'm not saying you have to hire coaches and all these different things, but having an outlet to express these things and have accountability and friends who are also accountable to you, I think is supportive, especially in the societies or the industries we're in where there is a lot of pressure in lots of different ways. Mm. And so for me, that's the way I handle it. I put myself through extreme challenges. Um, that also works for my personality type as an athlete. I'm like, bring it on. You know, bring me whatever you want. I'm willing to be so uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like going to, to coaching every two weeks. I'm like, 
I'd rather just watch a football game half the time than talk about things. But I know the benefits of it. It's just like, I don't, I don't like going to the gym every time, but I know the benefits, the results it's going to give me. I don't like eating salmon and, and, you know, vegetables. <laughs> I like ice cream, uh, but I know the benefits that it'll give me of doing it consistently, not just once in a while, but consistently. So that's what I do. But I'm also, I feel like I just had a lot of inner suffering for a long time and I was really good at masking it that I was just sick and tired of feeling that kind of ball of pain in my chest off and on. But I was like, I'm just, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Mm. And I think that's just been my personality. Do you think that's gendered at all in, in the way that we've been raised? Right. So I just, I only, I just wonder about it. Like, do you think that there is something that is more because of the ways in which we're socialized that is maybe more accessible. Like I've, you know, I've seen Russell yeah. Brand and a bunch of other people, a lot of, it's mostly men I see talking about like Wim Hof or like yeah. putting themselves through these kind of like extreme physical, tangible, yes. tangible like activities that yeah. like require discipline and maybe a bit of suffering and a discomfort mm -hmm. and you get to externalize the internal discomfort. Sure. Is there anything that you think specifically uh, appeals to, to men? I just that. think, I think it appeals to certain personality types of men, right. you know, not all men, but I think, you know, I took, I took 13 guys on a trip to Poland to see Wim Hof a month before the pandemic started. And so you all got like, cold and you all started the pandemic. We're, exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think they, I think they all got COVID actually on the way home because they were all sick for like a couple of weeks and we we're like, what is this? And Shit. I think it was, it was kind of before all that, but, um, it was, um, but I brought a collection of guys. I brought artists and poets. I brought musicians. I brought athletes. Um, so, it, you know, lots of different personality types. But I brought guys that I knew who I thought might be into it also. And half the time we were sitting, we were only in the ice for 10 minutes a day. It's not like all day you're freezing in the ice. It's like 10 minutes at a time, a few times a day. The rest of the time we're breathing and we're sitting in a circle crying, being vulnerable. And everyone is going around and sharing about different challenges they faced in a safe environment for men to open up. And men are talking about the, the struggles they have as fathers with their kids and the insecurities they face as dads, the insecurities they face with their wives. Uh, they feel like they're not enough after they finished one career and their identity was over. Now, who are they in the world after they were this champion in a previous life? And now, do they have value in the world? What is the direction? What is their intention moving forward? So, you know, there's seasons of life that men go through, just like women, where they face these insecurities. Like they, they feel like they need to be the man. They got to be responsible for everything. They got to make the money and provide. They got to be strong at all times. And I know women have their own set of demands that they feel like they got to look perfect all the time and be sexy and be kind, funny and all the things as well. And so it's just allowing for men specifically to have a space to be vulnerable and process. And it doesn't have to be with your, your wife or your girlfriend or your best guy friends, but encouraging men to do it with someone. Mm. If it's with an emotional coach, therapist, priest, it doesn't matter to me, finding a modality that works for you. For me, Wim Hof was a fun experience and a challenge, but also a way to release. And that's why I like those challenges. Yeah, no, I just remember James and I both being faced with the proposition of the kind of Wim Hof technique and the ice yeah. bath and everything. And James just jumped straight in and I was like, not on your You're like, fucking no, I'm good. life. Yeah. You couldn't pay me a million fucking dollars to get in that <laughs> ice bath. Like I would rather just 
you know, I'd want to call a friend, have some pizza and fucking yeah. talk it through. But he loved it and found it so changing and healing. And I'm sure that, by the way, like any gender, you know, can go and enjoy mm. and find great value in yeah, those things. I just wonder if there's something that feels more appealing initially to men when they've been told, like, fucking have a task, go and fucking do it. It's all conditioning. It's not like biological. Yeah. But it just is interesting. Everything can be a Trojan horse too. It's like, okay, come and do this extreme challenge, but really what we're going to do is open up and yeah. be vulnerable. And if that's what is the catalyst for people that are typically uncomfortable communicating vulnerab- vulnerably, then I think it's a beautiful catalyst finding something like that. I think, you know, growth has never been comfortable for me. I've never been like, yay, like this is comfortable when it's challenging it's always on the other side where you're like, you learn the biggest lessons, but we've got to be willing to face them in order to grow and get uncomfortable in some way. It doesn't have to be an extreme, you know, ice bath or sauna sessions, but, and, or going to, you know, top of a mountain in India or something for, for months. But it's like, what is the way that's going to be challenging for you? And maybe that is having a conversation with your dad or your mom in a way you've never had it before. Maybe that's all it takes and having the courage to speak up. But just know that there's a multitude of ways out there that you can find like a part. Yeah. It might not be the whole of healing, but it might be a path to healing. And path. Lewis has tried them all. <laughs> there's, there's more that I get to try, I'm sure. Uh, and, it, and, and like you said, it's a journey. Like uh, there's no way where I feel like I'm fully healed or something. There's definitely, I still get stressed. I still get overwhelmed. I still get triggered, but I'm very intentional and aware when it happens. Yeah. So I don't react from a place of anger, fear, resentment, or scarcity. I'm able to pause and breathe because I've been integrating and practicing it. And I'm, I feel like I'm in a safe, comfortable environment uh, mm-hmm. where I can respond differently. Am I always responding perfectly? Absolutely not. But I feel the consistent integration supports me. And that's why the accountability of an emotional coach every two weeks supports me in staying on top of it so I don't go back. A hundred percent. So your book is called The Greatness Mindset, right? And I think that a lot of people can see that and imagine it's like just a capitalist, you know, reach the top of the, you know, fucking like get all the Bugattis <laughs> and reach the top of the, like, you know, the food chain manifesto. Uh-huh. But my, for myself, having like watched your podcast over the years and watched like your own definition of greatness. Mm-hmm change you know even when i was on your podcast and i was challenging you know the idea of legacy and your yeah. idea of legacy and and mm-hmm. you know i've i've watched you shift in mm-hmm. what you consider greatness to be and it feels much more it's mu- it feels much less materialistic yeah not yeah, to say that you can't have those things and you don't want those things and you know you personally don't aspire to those things but mm-hmm. this book is is not that can you explain yeah. Well, it's for anyone going, who might feel very, you know, sure. might feel a bit. Well, everything for me is a Trojan horse and everything I do uh-huh. is is creating it for the person I once was that needed it and the person I am today that needs it. So it's always something like to support me in becoming a better version of myself. Um, and I want to add a, a couple of things around this. Five years ago, I started researching and interviewing people and taking notes around this concept for this book. Because I came to the conclusion that self-doubt is the killer of dreams. Like when we doubt ourselves, 
it's really hard to take action on something. Mm-hmm. Or if we doubt ourselves and we take action from the wrong way, which is to prove people wrong or to win at all costs or whatever, we succeed like you talked about and we still doubt ourselves. It's still not enough. And so it's just, it's never enough. And that just is the killer of you living an authentic life. And so I wanted to be successful. And I think this is kind of like the red pill theory now today. I'm not really sure is like go for success and do anything at a success and treat people this way to get success. Go for materialist success. Exactly. And I would definitely say like when I was growing up, I wanted to be successful. And that was, I wanted to be great and successful, but I didn't know like the the differences. And for me today, success alone is just selfish. It's for me where greatness includes my dreams and serving other people around me. It's improving the people around you on the path of pursuing your dreams and accomplishing them or not accomplishing them. It's like, you know, I'll give an example. I was on the USA men's national handball team for, for the last eight years, essentially. And um, I always wanted to be an Olympian and go to the Olympics. That's why I, I had the dream of making the team, training for, with the team for eight years, and we never qualified. But just because my dream of being Olympian never happened didn't mean it wasn't a dream come true from all the experiences I had of traveling the world with Team USA, playing against other Olympians, national teams from all over the world, and getting to experience something that brought me a lot of pride in what I was overcoming and developing in myself. So just because the dream didn't happen didn't mean it, was a, it wasn't a dream come true experience. And I think when we can think about greatness as pursuing our meaningful mission, Mm-hmm. which includes service to other people in a positive way, then it actually doesn't matter if you accomplish it. You might be let down or disappointed, but it's not going to ruin your your life or ruin your identity and your self-worth. And I think a lot of people put their self-worth in their accomplishments, in their money, in their success, in the Oscar awards, but then in it's the body still- image. In the body image, in the surgeries, and it's still not enough when they have it because their self-worth is wounded. And I know this because mine was wounded for a long time. And I have compassion for people, and this is not a make wrong or a judgment. It's just, if you're at a stage where you feel like, why am I not feeling like enough still? I've worked hard. I did what my parents told me to do. I got the degree. I got this thing. I've been pursuing this, but why do I still not feel like I accept myself fully and I'm enough? That's what this is for. It's it's creating a new process. This is the process I wish I had when I was 16, 21, 30 like it would have saved me a lot of pain if I just would have followed this process. That's why I was so committed to finding the answers over the last 10 years of what is the solution to overcoming the insecurity and doubt inside of me. It's step one, getting very clear on a meaningful mission, not success, but a meaningful mission, which allows me to use my talents, my powers, and also the things that I feel powerless in, Mm. where I get to overcome them in the journey and then solving a problem that I'm inspired by, finding a solution to to problems that I'm inspired by. That is a meaningful mission when you can create and develop that. And it changes over time. But in that path, learning how to say, okay, what is within me that is holding me back from pursuing Mm -hmm. this or afraid? I need to identify the three fears that hold everyone back and figure out which one holds me back the most. And at the root of that, 
I've got to learn to start mending and having these conversations, either with a coach, a friend, journaling, whatever it is for you, so I can start creating meaning from the past, which holds me back today. And I think once we go on that journey, and this is a journey, it's going to be one for me as I you know, enter into being a husband one day and having kids one day, and there's going to be new things that I uncover. It's, that's what this is all about. It's not chasing success. It's being led by, by service, and that's greatness. Fantastic. And God knows that also it's not just men who need to hear this. It's also, you mm. know, when it comes to learning how to assert yourself and doing it from the right place and going after your dreams and being allowed to be ambitious is something that all genders reserve the right to be able to do. And those 100%. ambitions, those ambitions don't have to be anything uh commercial, you know, or no, capitalist. Don't. Like those those achievements can be as fucking meaningful, esoteric as you want. But 100%. but women especially are never encouraged to really like go after what we want and to be maybe a little bit yeah. selfish and self-serving or, or to feel like we're allowed sure. to give to the community and give to ourselves. And so I think a lot of people would find this book very interesting and I like your Trojan horse approach. And, and I'm you. really glad that especially men have more role models out there like you, because we've never needed it so much as in the rise of this very old fashioned like rhetoric coming back. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and to, just to add to that, um, you know, 60% of my audience everywhere is, is female, uh, mm -hmm. is women. And, um, I think the reason they come is because I'm always talking about healing. That's probably why they come <laughs> to do it, but I'm always bringing out female experts talking about how to heal and mend and all mm -hmm. these different things. But I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that it doesn't have to be some grandiose commercial thing. Like you said, uh, for me, greatness is about like, how can you First, serve yourself to feel healthy, whole, and lovable. That's what it is. Like that should be priority one is you feel whole, healthy, and loved because you are. But we have to remember that a lot of times. So that's priority one. I even told my girlfriend when she asked me this, I don't know if we have two more minutes left, but when we asked, mm -hmm. my girlfriend asked me before we started dating, Jamila, you'll love this. She asked me, she asked me, we were like casually dating, but not committed, right? She said, Lewis, what are your priorities in life? And the old priorities question from the, the girlfriend, right? She said, what are your priorities? And I said, well, I'm gonna, I know what they are, but I don't think you're going to want to hear the truth. So do you want me to be honest and authentic, or do you want me to say what you're going to like? And she said, I want you to be honest and authentic. I said, are you sure? Because the women I've sold in the past did not like what I said, and it caused a lot of pain. And it caused a lot of friction. And I'm I'm not about that anymore. So I just want to know if you're clear that what I'm about to say, you're probably not going to want to date me or hang out with me anymore when I'm telling you my truth. I know. She said, go on, spit it out. Right? So she's like, <laughs> tell me. She's like, what do you mean? And I go, okay, well, most of the time I hear that women in a relationship with a man, that the women want to be the number one priority to that man. And I don't believe that is what should happen. Mm-hmm. And my number one priority in life right now for this season, this may change, but right now my number one priority is my health, is my emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being, my health. And because if I don't have my health, I can't be a good partner to you or to or help anyone. So number yeah. one is taking care of me. And I think uh -huh. that needs to be priority number one for women as well, taking care of their health. And that means doing whatever they need to support their emotional well-being and their health. Number two, for me personally, this season of my life, it you won't be my second priority, and no woman wants to hear that. 
Number two priority will be my mission because I feel like I'm here to fulfill a mission and to be of service to people in a big way for this season of my life. Maybe in 20 years, it's going to change. But right now, I'm on a mission. And I have a big purpose for me to serve that mission. And if I feel like my my health and my energy is low, then I'm not going to be able to fulfill my mission. And I'm going to be an unhappy human being. I'm going to be frustrated. And then I'm not going to be a good partner. And that's where number three, my relationship, my intimate relationship will be my third priority. Making sure that you are taken care of, that you're supported, that you're elevated, that you're seen, that you're loved. But I need to make sure one and two are just a little bit above that so that those don't fall short. Because when those two are number one and two, you're going to feel like the biggest priority in the world. You're going to feel like you have all of me all the time. And um, and she said, so I said, are you ready to... Probably not all of you all the time, but probably well, just all like of me, when all you're the there. Time when I'm with you. But, but yes. when you're there, you're really when I'm present. With you. Yeah. When all of you all the time when I'm with you. Yeah. And she, I said, um, so are you scared? And she goes, this is amazing. I've always wanted to find a man who had a purpose. But all these men that I dated in the past made me their purpose. And I was always like, no, but what's the thing you're supposed to do that you feel called to do in this world? Like, go do that thing. And none of them ever could figure it out, she said. And she said, after a while, she was like, but you got to go figure that out. You got to go do the thing that you're called to do on this planet. And um, so it were, it matched us perfectly. Yeah. But, yeah. James but and I, I'd think- say we're like two and a half on each other's list. <laughs> exactly. Which yeah. feels good. But I th- yeah. But I think all women should be saying, I get to and deserve to make sure my cup is full with my emotional, physical, and spiritual mm-hmm. health first. Amen. Then I can go after, I can be there for my kids and family, or if I'm building a career or whatever it is, I can do that second. But as you know, is if you're drained and you don't have energy and your health is out of whack, you can't be good in your relationship or your career. And so we must take care of our health first. Very well said. And I hope loads of people go out and buy this book and I hope people follow you online. Everyone should listen to your podcast. Uh, Lewis, you're a light. You're a fucking light. I'm glad that that light shines on the inside, not just on the outside for all of us. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jamila. Well done on all this work. It's very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code IWAY. Lastly, over at IWAY, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Visit a live archaeological dig site on the very grounds where America began. Or walk the fields where our country was won. Live like a colonial by day or track 18th century ghosts by night. For all the history to be found here, there's plenty more to make for yourself. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace.